often think of a franchise as a business in a box. These are your rules that you must follow. And if you stray, you're going to get a slap on the wrist. Anytime fitness is really good in this regard in that they do allow you to explore shifts in kind of the services you offer and not necessarily the model. We're not changing the brand, but what does training look like in your gym? Welcome to Franchise Empires, where aspiring entrepreneurs learn exactly what it takes to become a successful franchise owner from one location to 10 and beyond. I'm the Wolf of Franchises. Hey everyone, it's the Wolf here. Uh, Today on the show, we have Zach Pennington. Zach owns eight Anytime Fitness locations with his family, and seven out of them were acquisitions. So Zach gives us great insight into why buying locations can be better than building locations. On top of that, through Zach's pricing strategy and revenue streams, he shows what creative freedoms you still have as a franchise owner, which I think is a common discrepancy uh, that many people don't know of when they're getting into franchise ownership. And on top of that, the fitness industry today is as competitive as ever between all the boutique fitness chains out there as well as big box gyms. And Zach shows us how you can position your fitness brand to still dominate in your market. I hope you enjoy. The Wolf of Franchises is the CEO of Wolfpack Franchising, as well as a creator at Workweek Media. All opinions expressed by the Wolf and podcast guests are solely their own opinions and do not reflect the opinion of Wolfpack Franchising or Workweek. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as a basis for investment decisions. The Wolf, Workweek and Wolfpack Franchising may maintain positions in the franchises discussed on this podcast. All right. So I think a good place to start, you know, you own right now eight Anytime Fitnesses, right? Yeah, we own eight. Yep, exactly. Yeah. Take us through before, you know, you got to Anytime Fitness. What what were you doing and when did the light bulb go off that you said, hey, I want to start looking at franchises? It's been a little journey, but when I graduated from college, I graduated with a degree in, well, two degrees really in marketing and commercial graphics, like graphic design. Uh, Worked my entire way through school doing commercial graphics, loved it, a lot of self-taught stuff. After that, I jumped out of school and really tried to start my own consulting firm. It was great, but it was tough. What we did was, you know, it was a lot of client work. It was exchanging my time, you know, for money. It was highly dependent on me. That lasted for a little while. It was a good way to, you know, kind of get a feel for kind of the entrepreneurial things that I wanted to pursue and what it meant to be wholly reliant upon, you know, what I could produce. And didn't last for too long. I ended up jumping from that, uh, started working at a startup actually and doing user experience design. Again, in the creative realm, I've, I've, I've consistently throughout my life had that kind of creative bug. And I think it's suited me well in a bunch of different roles, but worked as a user experience designer, helped grow that company, um, worked there for about a year. Still wasn't, you know, it was still kind of the same thing. I was working for somebody else. I wanted to kind of find my own path. And uh, jumped back into kind of the consulting role, worked at an ad agency for a while. And at the ad agency, each step of this way, I, I learned different things that I wanted to pursue in my own entrepreneurial journey. So the creative side was one aspect. The next, when I worked at the ad agency, I did a lot of client work again. But, you know, I kind of got exposed to the retainer model and what it meant to have clients that were consistently, you know, paying and consistently utilizing services. And I, and I loved that. I just didn't love the clients that I was working with. You know, I was working for consulting for a, a big four accounting firm. And you can imagine mixing a creative personality and a, a creative desire with those of an accountant, a lawyer. And it's, it's tough. It's tough. I mean, those services are needed, but they don't always mesh well. And uh, from there, hopped out of that. Around that time, uh, my father, who I'm in business with my father and mother, uh, we're, we're a family-owned operation today, uh, but he had the opportunity to sell his, his family business uh, that his grandfather had started and around that time, and we started having kids, and they moved down to where I was, and we said, hey, let's find something together that we can do. So we began to explore a bunch of different ideas and and jumped into what we are in today. Beautiful. And I like that you took a lot of your 
you know, your time from working the consulting agency and just, you know, being a W2 employee to kind of figure out what you like, maybe what you're good at. You know, I do think this is a podcast at the end of the day about people kind of controlling their own destiny by owning businesses that are franchises, but jobs can be super helpful to kind of inform what you're good at and maybe what you don't want to do. Uh, so was that intentional? Like, did you always say, Hey, I'm going to own a business like eventually. And just for now, uh, I'm seeing what I like and don't like, or did it kind of just turn out this way? Yeah. I was actually talking with my father about this, uh, about a couple months ago is when I was growing up, that's all I was exposed to. You know, my dad was in a family business. My, you know, my mom's side of the family, they were in family businesses. I really didn't have like close family members that were actually W-2 employees. So I just thought it was a natural course to take. And uh, yeah, so it was, it was something that I always wanted to pursue, but you're, you're hundred percent correct. You just kind of learn as you go. And there are phases too. When I started out, you know, leaving college, I thought, okay, well I can go do this and you know, I can make it happen. And I certainly could have, it's just a lot more difficult. You don't, you don't have the base level of knowledge that you get by working a job and, and experiencing different, different facets of business uh, that you, you would otherwise have, uh, or you, you don't have the fortune to have if you start your own thing right out of the get-go uh, without having a job. So yeah, it was definitely something I always wanted to pursue. Jobs along the way kind of gave me a, a more well-rounded view of what is needed and required to make something successful. And so when you decided you you were done with the W-2 life, you wanted to do something with your family, uh, can you take us through that process because uh part of what i'm you know trying to solve and, and to help uh improve with the podcast the newsletter everything is uh the discovery process for franchises can be tough so what was that like you know researching franchises that you would be interested in actually buying and kind of how did you pick anytime fitness out of the four thousand plus franchises that are out there you really have a lot of a lot of options to pick from and it's kind of daunting you know, we looked at everything from franchising to starting our own thing, in addition to, you know, business and real estate, uh, you know, two things that, you know, are, are, are different as well. And, and we settled on franchising. We settled there because my father had spent his entire life building a brand uh, for 20 plus years. He, you know, he, he had great success in that, but that was a journey. I had worked at an ad agency and in marketing, and I had seen the dollars required, the effort required just to simply build a brand, let alone a business. And so we've, you know, began to look into the franchising model with established brands that already have that presence and authority in markets. And, you know, that was, took us from step one to step 10 in the business journey process right out of the gate. And so we began to look at a bunch of different ones. We looked at everything from restaurants to, you know, fitness and a whole host of other franchising models. You know, we had kind of our, our check boxes that we were looking for in terms of everything from what is the corporate support like to what locations are available to what is the business model here? You know, do I got to sell a hamburger to make a dollar or, you know, do I get to just build out a space and, and provide equipment and services and, and sell member recurring memberships? What is the business model? And so we had our boxes that we wanted to check and, you know, we flew up to Minnesota. We got to the chance to meet with uh, the corporate team at Anytime Fitness, loved the support, loved the culture firmly believe that, you know, it does trickle down from the top. If you have great leaders at the top, specifically in a franchising model who are guiding the brand forward in an innovative way and really care about their franchisees and, and guiding them in their, in their business path. I, th I think you have a successful, uh, you have a successful brand to pursue. And that's what we found at, at uh, when we went and visited with uh, with the founders of Anytime Fitness and their corporate team. It's just a a great culture, a team that wants to support you, a team that wants to help you grow, and is doing everything in their power to make that happen. And and we really felt that, and uh, we decided to pursue Anytime Fitness. In addition to, it's a great product to put into the marketplace. It, you know, it, we aren't. 
I don't want to knock a restaurant, but you know, we're providing in some essence a health and wellness additive to, to every community in which we serve. And the more people that we can help get to a healthier place, the better off our communities are going to be. And so it's just kind of a, a one, two punch for us. Yeah, no, I mean, I think, uh, you got to kind of believe in what you're doing. Obviously, with a franchise, it's not technically, you know, no one's the creator of the brand if they're a franchisee. But I mean, that's just a commonality that people have to have some belief and enjoyment from from the business they're owning. So you mentioned your father who sold his own business. Did watching your father run his own business and seeing the time it took him to really hit its stride did that impact your thinking of going franchise versus starting from scratch with a new business? I think that was certainly part of it. You know, there's a whole level of support that you can pull on with a franchise. You know, I, I can go talk to others who are who are running this specific brand, who are running this specific play that I can't necessarily do if I'm going to start my own thing. I mean, my father, I mean, like their family business, it took till the second generation to really hit that stride. I mean, it took a long time. I mean, it was very successful, but it just took a while. And with this, I felt like we could step from, like I said, step one to step 10 pretty quick and have good support and guidance along the way. And that's, that's what we found. Yeah. No, I mean, I really think that folks have to think about Yes, there's benefits, of course, to starting your own business and, and the things that get the headlines, right, are the IPO or, you know, a big acquisition where you get bought out, which is great. But I think that I, I call it path dependence, meaning, you know, what does your journey look like? So if you are starting a business, you know, what does the first five to 10 years of your life potentially look like uh, while doing that? And a lot of times you have to live really scrappy. It's stressful. You know, most profits get dumped back into the business. And, you know, when the business finally is cash flowing a lot and you are successful, and, you know, regardless of the industry or if it's tech or brick and mortar, like we're talking, then you can start to benefit from it. But uh, I, I just think that's an important aspect that sometimes it is worth trading a lower ceiling in your highest potential outcome for being able to just enjoy your life more, right? <laughs> like while you're building uh, whatever your businesses are. Yeah, 100%. 100%. And you can certainly jump from step one to step 10 really fast. I mean, you have everything you have everything that you you need in a solid brand. If you pick a solid brand, you have what you need. Your, your decisions, the level of decision making is just that much stronger. You know, I mean, you have every you have a full global real estate team that can work with you to help pick locations, right? that have done thousands of deals just like this. You have thousands of of other franchisees who have been anywhere from their first location to their 160th location that can step in and say, hey, here's how we grew it. Here was the path that we took. Consider these things. You're going to run into this roadblock. And a lot of times, you know, I, I did it when I ran my, when I tried to run my agency, you know, I would run into roadblocks and, you know, it was difficult for me to see my way through and I didn't have a good support system. And uh, with this, you certainly do. Well, yeah, when you're the business owner, and it's not a franchise, right? You're the one who has to figure it all out. So that's just another kind of consideration that people should be making because uh, it, it can be tough on your own. But yeah, I guess just from a diligence perspective. So it sounds like when you were evaluating Anytime Fitness that you had some good conversations with existing franchisees and, and the franchisor was impressive to you. But I guess like from a numbers perspective, so the, you know, there are FDD and, and for folks who are listening who may not know this, franchise disclosure documents are where all the financial information on franchises are among some other information, uh, but they're public facing documents required by the Federal Trade Commission. Anyway, to make a long story short, you know, like I'm looking at their current FDD and I see initial investment for a new location could cost up to you know just under 700 grand. This is 2019, by the way for their average revenue, which was, uh, so pre COVID it was average location. And, you know, they have, I think 4,000 plus locations worldwide. So it's a big brand folks, but their average revenue is 440,000. Um, so if I'm looking at that, I'm thinking, okay, if it does cost me on the high end, and there's a lot of factors that come into that, right. The, the site selection, the market you're in and all that, 
But if I'm looking at potentially up to 700K in a new build cost and then the revenue is 440, I'm thinking, all right, I mean, this, I'm hoping this is a high margin business or else I could be paying off my uh, investment for many years to come. Now, how do you kind of go into that from a buying perspective? Yeah, there was a number of diligence items that we we went through when we we started in this, and I would tell you that those numbers are accurate. Uh, you know, a lot of times you may see discrepancies in an FDD and what is actual reality. I would tell you that's what we we have found that to be fairly true. You know, when we started, we initially started with the idea of development. We wanted to buy up a territory, uh, an area territory, and and begin to build build out that location. Tennessee, I'm from the Nashville area, was an under underdeveloped kind of middle Tennessee was an underdeveloped area. We thought, hey, we'd go in and we we would build out that area. So yeah, I mean, we read through the entire FDD, we understood it backwards and forwards. It met kind of the the things that we wanted in a business. It is a high. I mean, you mentioned margin. It is a high margin business. You know, I don't have to sell a ham, buy a hamburger to sell a hamburger. You know, I've built out my space. I have my equipment. Uh, most of the costs within Anytime Fitness are fixed. You just don't have a lot of variable costs, which is great. And your membership base—it's a membership model—and um, we've we've translated that same model um, within anytime fitness to training to other things that we offer kind of that reoccurring model. So, you know, it's just incrementally building upon that margin, but yeah, we, we wanted to build out an area. So we bought some territories and we bought about 10 territories from anytime fitness that were undeveloped with the idea that we would spend yeah, roughly $700,000 at each location and, and build them out. That was kind of our initial plan as plans go. They don't go very long. <laughs> they don't go very long, especially when you're new. Uh, you can have theories and ideas about what you want to do, but if you're not learning along the way, something's going to be wrong quick, and you got to be able to move, or else you're not going to make it. So uh, we had a we had a territory, a location, actually a, two miles from my house, come available in anytime fitness location. Lady wanted out. She was getting out of the brand altogether. She was going through, unfortunately, a divorce. And so we bought her location before we even built one of our 10 territories out. That gave us a, an immediate leg up. Uh, I didn't have to go through 12 months of, well, six to 12 months of building my first unit to see if what my theories and ideas around the business model would even work. I got to immediately get my hands dirty. Our team got to get in there and really kind of put our ideas to the test. And it was a great entry into Anytime Fitness. I think it's a great strategy, what you were doing, which is to, to build up your own locations, have your own kind of exclusive territory. And I've seen tons of franchisees do well with that, especially it's usually on a newer brand where they're able to negotiate for a massive territory because the brand's looking to grow. And, you know, if that brand does turn into something special, Right. You usually would have gotten that territory at a steep discount compared to when, you know, the cat's out of the bag and everyone wants in on, you know, an orange theory or something like that. But how did this inform your thinking after kind of seeing, okay, versus doing new builds, we just bought this location from the woman down the road and, you know, you're essentially paying for cash flow to acquire that. What did that change in your, you and your family's thinking going forward and kind of, you know, what was the next step after this realization? You're 100% correct. You can find a deal with a franchisor uh, if you're looking to develop an area, but that's going to be typical on a newer brand. You know, at this point, Anytime Fitness had been around for 17 years. It was not a new brand. People knew what it was. I think there was 3,500 locations already established across the globe. So it was it was larger. But we were able to get in there, and and what we saw was, one, we could buy the location with current revenue in place, current member base, you know, there in great shape for a third, less, uh, about 25, 25% of what we could build a new location for. And it was kind of a no-brainer. So, yeah, we, we bought that. And with an established brand like this, our internal model and thought process began to change. We began to find value 
in this strategy of, of acquiring locations because we could acquire them at a third of the price and the revenue numbers were already what the FDD was stating. And the light bulbs kind of started to go off. Wait, are there other opportunities out here like this? And so we began to just continue to move forward with that in the back of our mind. Hey, okay, when we got 10 territories, we got to develop here. So within six months after that acquisition, we began construction on our, on our first build out. And right along with the FDD, I think we spent around $650,000 to build that location out. Uh, it's a great location for us today. And it was, it was a hit right from the start. So it, it hit projections and it did well for us. But there was some hiccups along the way in terms of construction. Construction took about six months longer than what we wanted. So, you know, our capital was sitting out there longer without a return. There was a lot of learning in the process. I had never built anything before. I had never, I did not actually physically build this location, but I, I hadn't managed a construction team before. So that was an entire learning curve for myself. And that's a challenge. <laughs> so, yeah. It was great. It was, it was great. But yeah, our, you know, kind of get back to your original question. We saw value in an acquisition, a third the cost of, of building out a new unit. After we built out and completed our first ground up development location, the light bulbs were just ringing hot. I mean, it was, okay, let's go out and let's find other locations just like the first one we bought and pursue acquisition. So that's really what we did after that. Yeah. And what you hit on, I mean, just the general theme, and this is you, John, you know, everyone on Twitter is always asking the question, buy or build. And it seems like you kind of found uh, an arbitrage opportunity of sorts in the anytime fitness system. So, I mean, if you're essentially buying these existing locations at a, at a third of the cost, it would take you to do a new build, which as we said earlier, is, you know, 600 to 700 grand per new build. Are these locations, if they're hitting the average revenue, as you said, still, I mean, they should be going at a two to three X multiple of the EBITDA or, you know, so is that what, what pretty much happened across the board or, or is it unprofitable or struggling locations that you were kind of going in and having to turn around? Here's where I, I feel like our team really kind of fell into its stride within Anytime Fitness and within this particular franchise, which I... I don't really, I'm not really familiar with other franchise brands, but I wouldn't be surprised if this is an opportunity elsewhere as well. But just because it's a franchise doesn't mean there are not opportunities outside of the typical business box go idea. And we found it in acquisitions. And that was, that was right after we had bought this first one, built the second one, and then we started looking for other ones. You would think, yes, that these are two to three X multiple on EBITDA. And that is true, except you got to understand the the environment of any of anytime fitness at this at this time. Like I said, it isn't a new brand. I mean, yes, they want to sell territories and explode growth. And, and that really happened for about the first 15 years of the brand. Now it's just steady growth. And there has also been a shift in the market for fitness in the last 20 years. It used to be YMCA, your county rec center, big box type setup. And, and that, that was ultimately what pushed Anytime Fitness to form as a brand. They became a convenience gym. They're in strip centers, easy in and out, 24-hour access. And it sold like hotcakes, those new, those new territories did when you know in the early 2000s because they were selling a 24-hour model that owners, uh, franchisees could come in. They could open the doors, hand out key fobs, and they wouldn't have to staff it. It would just be come and go and fairly hands off. Well, the entire fitness industry has shifted since then. I mean, that is still a concept. It's a dying concept. And that is not anytime fitness anymore. But you had, you still do. You have franchisees who bought in that time period, who have continued to hold on. And unfortunately, as the market has shifted, they have not shifted with it. And so they continue to hold on with this model in mind, this legacy model in mind, and they've gotten themselves to today where they've fallen behind the curve. And now there's opportunities for operators who are more in tune with the market and in tune with where the brand is now today to come in and say, hey, let, let me help. And so that's, that's what we found. 
there's certainly struggling locations that we are buying. That is what we are buying is struggling locations. And we are, we are turning them around and there's an arbitrage, just like you mentioned, I can go build a new one for $650,000, $700,000 on what is good, if not great due diligence and believe that my projections will come true and work to make them come true. Or I can go out there and say, Hey, there's clubs out here with the same member base, the same amount of members in these gyms. They're just under, you know, there could be undercharging, you know, the service could be out of date, the equipment could be out of date, the facility could be out of date. And with some relatively low CapEx and increased staff, really, because a lot of these gyms don't have staff, um, you can come in and you can you can create really great returns. And so what you've done is you've recognized the shift and the legacy franchisees, I guess, just haven't. And so they're willing to bow out because you're taking off what what for them is a struggle off their hands. Exactly. It's awesome. So we're able to come in and do that and, and really create great value and really bring something, something back to the community that was once there that uh, kind of faded and kind of reinvent these locations and a lot of the locations that we are buying too, we found, you know, there's, <laughs> there's arbitrage in location as well. You know, anytime fitness is not, it's not an urban play in this franchise model. You know, one of the greatest expenses you'll have outside of equipment and staff is your rent. And, you know, there's a huge arbitrage to be had in like secondary and tertiary markets that we find. And so we are finding locations like that that are, you know, have some real low costs because most of these costs, like I was mentioning, most of these costs are fixed. They have low cost, but they carry the same amount of members. And uh, it's, you know, what's interesting once you get into the secondary and tertiary markets is that the gym, if you think about it, I grew up in a town of 2000 people, so I can, I can speak to this there's no place for community. Like we're not going to the movie theater. We're not going to, you know, literally it is Friday night lights. We're going to the high school football game and that is the community. Um, you know, there's no country club. And so what happens is, is the gym becomes that place of community in the secondary and tertiary markets. And we're able to step in and, and that even makes the product more sticky and continues to help with retention and, and just kind of growing, growing with the community has been, has been an arbitrage in and of itself. And you mentioned too, that the trends are changing. So to me, that means, right. As someone who looks into a lot of different franchises, right. Boutique fitness has taken off. Group workouts are kind of all the rage, whether it's, you know, hit high intensity training, or, or other forms of, of group fitness. And, you know, there's technology-driven results where, you know, you can see how many calories you burned. You can compare yourselves to other class members. So what did you see in Anytime Fitness that was kind of in line with that? And do you see yourself as a, of course, you are competing with any boutique fitness firm, but how, how did the value prop differ? And, and Yeah, so Anytime Fitness, like I was mentioning, started kind of as this legacy fitness kind of convenience model, 24-hour model. It was a place that had all the equipment. You can come in, you could use a treadmill, you could use the bicep curl machine and and kind of get after it. Well, the fitness industry has shifted. People are realizing more and more how important coaching is. I mean, our top-level athletes have coaches. You know, it's not a bad thing to have a coach. And they're realizing how important that is, but also how important kind of this 360 view of health and wellness is. So the gym is just one component of a way to live a healthy life. I think it's a vital component. And so what Anytime Fitness has, as they began to shift, they began to shift in towards more of a coaching model that happened to have a full service convenience gym with it. So... You know, we're not just saying here's a here's a key card, go figure it out. Now we're saying, hey, let's sit down. You're you're excited. You want to you want to achieve some sort of result. Let's sit down. Let's partner together. Let's figure out what that is, and let's come up with a customized plan that is going to help you here at the gym, but also outside the gym. So you know, now 
we don't just have a treadmill and a bicep curl machine. You know, now we have a body composition scanner that, it, that tells you, you know, where you are at and the progress you're making. Now we have a mobile app that, hey, if you can't make it into the gym today, my trainer can get on there and they can train you at home. You know, we have the ability to create workouts and send workouts to anybody and everybody we want that is needing help and help and guidance. And then tying in the nutrition component is huge as well. So we're able to, to have these touch points that are inside and outside of the gym that really help move our communities towards a healthier place in a more holistic way, rather than saying, Hey, just come in for 30 minutes, three times a week. And, um, you know, you'll get where you need to be. This is not fitness anymore. And, um, you know, you certainly have other brands out there. You mentioned, you know, you have your, your boutique studios, right? They're great. I think rowing is great. I think, you know, hit is great. Um, they're highly targeted towards a certain set of the population. So you better really know who your community is and who you're serving, right? In a secondary market, you know, the amount of people who are interested in rowing, it's not going to be there. You know, so you see those in more of suburban and urban markets, you know, you have your big box gyms, your, you know, your low cost gyms as well, each have their place. And we love kind of this 360 model of what health and wellness looks like. And I would say anytime fitness kind of plays right in the middle of the market. Yeah. Now I think that's really important too, to know is just, you know, you clearly have a great understanding of your market. Uh, as you mentioned, you know, like a rowing focused studio probably wouldn't work versus anytime fitness, you know, you give people flexibility. Members can get different things out of it. So if someone does, you know, myself, former athlete, I do see the value in a coach, but I'm very budget conscious. So, you know, I go to the gym, I work out on my own. I, I like to think I know what I'm doing. <laughs> um, but, you know, someone else, if they want to really ramp up the intensity or maybe they need some, some guidance on their workouts, right? Uh, anytime fitness is able to provide that as well. So, uh, I do see the value in, in a 360 model, you know, regardless of the market that you're in. Yeah, you have to know your market. You have to know your location. You have to know your demographic. That's the important part, right? We have Stan, Jan, and Nancy. We've given them profiles. We can name them. We know exactly who they are. We know exactly what they like. You know, Stan needs a plan, right? So we, I, I can, <laughs> each one of my salespeople, they can identify Stan as soon as he walks in the door. He's the former football player who used to be the quarterback, who's now 45. He hasn't picked up weights in 25 years. He thinks he can come in and deadlift 400 pounds, and he's going to throw his back out the very first time he tries that. He needs a different plan. So you got to know your market. You have to know your demographic and who your brand is attracting uh, even more. Yeah, now customer profiles, that's the level of granular detail that, that you need to get into. So we'd we love to see that. I want to talk about, you know, you have a Twitter thread that talks about a, one of the acquisitions you made of an Anytime Fitness location. And it ends, the thread ends with you saying that the location will, re will return 100% of its acquisition cost in 18 months. And so between, you know, the beginning of that thread and the bottom, you talk about increasing the membership fee, adding a few fees, as well as completing a renovation. Can you walk us through broadly what you did with that location, how you improved it in such a short amount of time? We actually... We're under contract on this deal, set to close five days before the entire state of Tennessee shut down for COVID. And we're in the fitness industry. Let's just be real. We got hit hard. Our family kind of came around. We sat around my kitchen table and we said, look, like, here's the deal. Here's what we're set to do. These are the trends right now in the market. What do you feel? And, and we ran around the table and not one of us felt good about it. And so we went and we discussed with the owner, the prior owner, and, and he understood, you know, he was bumped, but he understood. And so we put a pause on the deal. He said, we're not going to be able to close. We need to feel this out. Can you give us 60 days? So he gave us 60 days. In 60 days, we came back. We renegotiated. We, we did a little bit of renegotiating the deal. We didn't beat him up too bad. We kind of felt bad for him. But the deal, yeah. So it was roughly a $190,000 deal is what we bought that location for. It was in a tertiary market. 
a town of about 14,000 people. And this gym, unlike some of the others, it was not a legacy gym. This gym was fairly new. It was built in 2016. And so, man, the shape of it was really good. There was some tweaks that when he built it, you know, that I wouldn't, I wouldn't have done. Uh, so there were some physical tweaks that we made after it. We definitely uh, did some renovations, knocked down some walls, open up space for team train. We call it team training is in the market probably calls it group training, um, hit style training, added about a thousand to 1200 square foot of turf in there with a bunch of functional equipment. And we brought a lot of value. Uh, he was running the location all by himself with the two high schoolers. They were working hard. I'll, I'll give it credit, but he, he had the kind of the, the historic mindset that legacy owners had. And that was, I can sell cheap memberships. I can let people come in and just kind of utilize this 24 hour facility and, and go. That's not the play we run. We run a coaching play and we run a a high value play. So in instances like his, you have these older owners who, you know, that's a, that's more of a volume play, right? How many, you know, can I go out and sell 10,000 memberships at, $5, $10, $15 a piece and let them come in and utilize that. He would never be able to service that to the level we service them. We have a a higher focus on the lifetime value of a member. So how much can we help them? And, and what does, what does that total revenue for us look like over their lifetime? And we've really focused in on that. So we came in, we did some CapEx improvements. We hired four staff, we brought in a training team and we took a look at the membership rate. So we immediately changed the street rates as soon as our CapEx improvements were made. So where he was charging 20 to $25 a month, we made a shift and we started charging 25, anywhere from 25 to $35 every two weeks. We sell uh, memberships based on a biweekly model. Um, there's a whole thought behind that, but it's a biweekly, a biweekly membership. So, so every two weeks, the rates. we doubled street rates. Yep. And that's what the market is what we felt the market could actually support. But in order to get people there, your facility has to be there, the value it has to be there, and your team has to be able to support that value. That wasn't there prior. Um, We had that. And so, um, you know, at this point, we had had three other locations and we kind of knew where we could end up. Do you see a correlation between price and customer perception, meaning if people are scouting gyms to to sign up with and you're the lowest priced membership, my natural thought is, okay, it's probably the cheapest gym. You know, it's probably not the best quality, but hey, they're a budget gym. You know, it was that part of the mindset in, in the price changes to kind of communicate uh, what you're trying to deliver through a higher price? A hundred percent. Yeah, absolutely. Price does give a sense of value in what you're going to receive. So we did that and we improved that. And so, you know, that immediately took the street rate. So every new member that we brought on was, was at that rate. And we began to, we began to trudge forward from there. Did you have to uh, then to bump up existing members or was this just existing members were kind of grandfathered in and it was, it was a new customer only policy? So this location, we eventually did. We eventually did change prior members, or they're still current, but uh, current members' rates. We did. However, this was our fourth location. This was the first location that we attempted this. And we've, we've done it. We've done it now. We've been successful at it. But at that time, it was a question mark in the back of our mind whether or not this would be doable, whether or not, whether or not it would scare people away or not. And so we wanted to, we gave it about six months of, of selling at the street rate, the new street rate, continuing to push the new value and demonstrating what we could offer members in hopes that, Hey, those members who are already in the system, who are already visiting the club, they'll see this when they're in here, they'll get a feel, Hey, I'm, you know, this is, I get this. And we experienced that, you know, one of the things that is interesting and I, I really study this from like a, a real estate perspective when we consider increasing member rates with, uh, for instance, real estate, really it's, it's constrained by its capacity, right? So if my apartment building only has five units and everybody is 
you know, a hundred dollars under market, well, I can either increase them and they can leave and I can replace them with higher rate members, or I can keep them at the lower rate. Well, with the gym business, it's not really capacity constrained. And so you really have to toe that line between, okay, are you just going in to increase rates because, you know, Joe's gym down the street is, has increased rates and that's his street rate and that's where the market is now? Or are you going in and providing additional value and sending a signal to your, your current member base that, hey, we are worth this and here's why. And it's not just because Joe's gym is that way. So it does not necessarily have a capacity constraint. So it, it does make it a little tricky and, and you really do have to focus on the value you're going to provide for the new amount that you're going to ask. Definitely. It's never a good idea, right? Just to, uh, you know, I've actually heard of some people doing this with SaaS businesses that, uh, especially like tiny ones that folks, you know, uh, that's just the things I read on Twitter. Someone acquires a SaaS business and they just immediately double the, you know, the monthly cost to customers. Uh, which sometimes apparently that works, but in, in this case, right, where it's a gym and it's it's a specific service that could cause issues if you're not actually doing anything to, to earn the increase in rates. And uh, I know you also added, because it says this in the Twitter thread, just back to the, uh, you know, that, that specific acquisition where you added a security activation fee and a club enhancement fee. So I kind of want to just to conclude, you know, uh, the acquisition here. You have the freedom as a franchisee to, to really add certain things in, whereas I do think a lot of people might be surprised by that and that they would think that the franchisor is controlling pricing, optionality, and you know any added fees. But it appears to be that you know that's within your control. Yeah, Anytime Fitness is pretty good, and this is kind of what I I think I I may have mentioned either in that thread or another, but. You often think of a franchise as a business in a box. These are your rules that you must follow. And if you stray, you're going to get a slap on the wrist. Anytime Fitness is really good in this regard in that they do allow you to explore shifts in kind of the services you offer and not necessarily the model. We're not changing the brand, but what does training look like in your gym? What do the fees look like? You know, whereas like a McDonald's, right? Like the dollar menu is always probably going to be the dollar menu and you got to sell it at a dollar. <laughs> yeah. You know, with us, you're going to see membership rates at Anytime Fitness run the entire gamut globally, but it's also market dependent, which makes it great. So we found a good pairing between what we charge and the value that we offer. And it's worked well for us. The franchise does have a minimum that every location must charge. So I think it's like $29 or something. So the minimum of our monthly rate, which is, and I'll tell you that's going up, but you know, if you're not, if you're not at that minimum, you know, you're getting a call from the franchisor and you're likely getting it fine. So when we're looking for acquisition targets, kind of going back to that, you know, that's in our due diligence checklist. Let's find the average rate of the member in here and, you know, where does it lie? And, and you would be surprised how many of them are below the minimum. And we immediately go money on the table. Um, we know the play to run here. And so, yeah, you, you know, security activation fees, those are things that are actually encouraged by the franchisor. Uh, we have to do, because we are a 24-hour facility, we're consistently having to do upgrades to our security systems and training for staff. And so, you know, th those types of fees go towards that. Nobody wants to be in the gym at 2 a.m. and have to, you know, be concerned about their safety. So that's something that, you know, you'll find that owners don't charge. And then they get two years down the road and they get a big bill from the security system that they have to upgrade everything and then they're stuck. And so, you know, it's similar to, you know, that club enhancement fee that we charge, you know, the second biggest item, I really believe the second biggest expense within kind of fitness is going to be, is going to be your equipment and that stuff wears out, it gets hard use. And the guys who are out there that get stuck is they end up in this cycle where they don't properly plan for equipment upgrades and refreshes. 
They get equipment into bad shape after about five years, and then it just becomes a vicious cycle downward where people come in, they see bad equipment, they go, nope, I'm not using that, I'm not paying for a membership here. Current members start to leave, and then revenues decrease, they even have less money to even invest in their business, and pretty soon they go out. I mean, these types of fees go towards consistently upgrading equipment, maintaining the facility, and also training staff on bettering their professional ability to, to service members. So we added both of those at this particular location, in addition to the, the rates and the CapEx. And uh, yeah, after 18 months, we returned 100% of the capital. Incredible. Yeah, I mean, it, well, it's just great to hear from you know you being in the business. A, just kind of the nitty gritty details on why those fees are charged. But I think the takeaway is right that a lot of people might just see that as as a extra price, another barrier to convert a member. Uh, whereas you know why they're in place and why they're needed, and you position your whole brand around being able to kind of earn that where where it's worth it. You are providing value. Uh, you do have a good security system. You know, the equipment's going to stay fresh. You're going to have uh, trainers who are doing a good job versus, you know, if you skimp out on it, like you said, you can find yourself in a tough situation, especially I think it's unique to the, a little unique to the gym business in that that recurring revenue model. If the members do start leaving, it gets harder and harder to make it back up because you just have way less uh, cash coming through the door. Yeah. Yeah, man. So I guess just, um, you know, today you have eight stores, right? And I'm sure there's obviously a lot of detail that goes into, into getting to eight, but uh, kind of to, to wrap up, I mean, what would you say, or how have you structured, I guess, this organization? And I know, you know, your wife, your father, uh, at a minimum are involved, but a lot of people might feel overwhelmed by hearing that, you know, how, how does one operate that many locations? You know, is it just eight times the work of one location? So if you could kind of just give some guidance on how you guys really bring efficiencies out of that scale so that you're not working a hundred hour weeks. We're very fortunate. I think a family business is, it can be tough for a lot of folks, but if you can make it work, it can be the best thing ever. Your family, you're invested in one another and you're invested in one another's success if you do it right. And we have, we have a lot of help. So yeah, like I said, like you said, you know, my, my mother's involved, man. She is a process person through and through. Uh, I can go to her and say, hey, here's what we're struggling with. Can you put something together that will help us achieve this result? Give me two hours, Zach. I'll be right back. Boom. Here we go. You know, my, my father is a strong leader. He's kind of the calm in the storm and people love working for, for my father. And so, you know, he's been the guy to kind of come along and provide kind of that steady leadership that has had a ton of experience running and operating a business way larger than this one. And then, you know, I, and my wife is, is technical. She's a trainer. She's certified. She, you know, she can kind of speak from, from the point of view of, a of the customer. She gets it and she understands, Hey, these are the things that, that will really help our communities thrive and grow. And I'm, I tend to be more the visionary. So I come in and spout off my vision and everybody goes, wait a second, <laughs> here's the reality. And then we find a happy middle. So yeah, it's been a process by which we've defined roles and responsibilities, but we've also built a great team around us. Uh, we have awesome club managers and fitness managers that work with us at each location. Um, we have just an amazing team that work super hard and are intelligent. Um, you know, we have never been a, a ownership team that has said, Hey, we know it all. Uh, we never ran a gym before, but we're going to go find the best that, that, uh, that can help us. And so we, we go out and we find the best oftentimes better than us in some areas, a lot of areas and, uh, and can come alongside and, and help lead the organization. So as we continue to grow, I mean, we're just continuing to look for those pieces of the puzzle they can come alongside and and pick up where we're short and really help us continue to move to the, the next phase. That's great. Yeah, it seems like a very team-oriented approach and, and also almost a humble approach in that you guys recognize maybe that, that you don't know everything and, and you want 
to bring in other folks who can, you know, contribute. So that that's awesome to see. And uh, since you're the vision guy, we can end with this question. What do you see as, you know, over the next five to 10 years, what, what are your goals? You know, is it more anytime fitness? Do you plan on expanding to other brands? Uh, what's kind of the, the grand master plan for you? We found our stride. We found our stride here in anytime fitness and, and we're definitely acquiring more. So that is the target. Uh, we're going to continue to look for more. You know, we expect to have a great portfolio full of anytime fitness clubs and continue to help, help the communities which we serve. And, you know, I think for us, as we move forward, it's a process of keeping focused on what we do really well and not allowing ourselves to get pulled one way or the other, running our play consistently uh, will produce the returns that we're after. And as long as we do that, it's just about time. Can we continue to move forward and continue to receive these types of returns and do it in a consistent manner and uh, continue to run everything from the big things to the small things uh, like we know how. And if we do that well, we'll, we'll just continue to grow. That's fantastic. It's the beauty of the franchise model, right? Just rinse and repeat. And, and I mean, it does take time. It does take work, but you have the playbook and you can just keep running it. So uh, well, well, I'll have to have you back on, you know, maybe in uh, a few years when you're at a hundred plus locations or something like that. Uh, but this That's was right. a great conversation, man. Yeah. Uh, so thanks for coming on. And, you know, if people want to follow your journey, is there anywhere, you know, LinkedIn, Twitter, where you're particularly active that they can follow along? Yeah, absolutely. Follow me on Twitter. It's uh, at Zach Pennington. So Z-A-C Pennington. And uh, yeah, check out that thread that we talked about and uh, more more to come on those. Beautiful. All right. Well, uh, thanks again for coming on, Zach. And uh, we'll talk soon. Okay. All right. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Franchise Empires. We're coming to you soon with actionable insights to take the next step on your franchise journey. So make sure to subscribe on Apple, Spotify, Google, or wherever you listen. Listen.